Welcome to the This is Reno Radio Show. We're broadcasting from Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. And this is Reno.com, Reno's online news and event source. Dana, a lot has been going on in Reno in the past few weeks. It's been interesting to watch and interesting to see how volatile people's opinions are regarding that's these. nothing new yeah it's, but i i i it always blows me the, away the more volatile the more valid i've noticed really no <laughs> i was gonna say well, well no, what absolutely not <laughs> it, it blows me away how people can be so stubborn in a antiquated way of thinking and I think one of the interesting cases we're looking at is these ordinances that are going to be coming up uh, against the strip clubs. Yes. Yeah. So basically it was a, a week or two ago, the city council voted to proceed with new ordinances that would basically eliminate alcohol, uh, change signage requirements, and um, potentially change some other things that would, at least according to some or a couple of the strip clubs basically force them out of business or out into an industrial area mm-hmm. of the town. And so there's a lot of back, I mean, a lot of dialogue about this or some angry dialogue too. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? We've been known, Reno's been known as being gaming, strip clubs, party atmosphere, but we want to change to something different. And to change, we actually need to change. Yeah, so you would be in favor of this? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't know. I you know, this is this is a gut feeling without having all of the information, but my gut feeling is yes. Mm-hmm. The strip clubs don't add a whole lot of revenue. Mhm. They don't They they claim they employ up to about 300 people. That I don't doubt. Or independent contractors. But they're they're independent yeah. contractors. Yeah. Um, those people are barely getting by. They would say they're making a good living, some of them. Some of them are making a good living, but a lot of them come and go. They're, mm-hmm. they're in there for a few weeks and then they go. It's, it's the nature of that type of business. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think what the city's position is, is that it's not so much inherently the activity of the strip club as so much as it is what they're calling the secondary effects mm-hmm. of having these operations. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that could be things like drugs, prostitution, trafficking, those kinds of things. And they're basically pinpointing, at least from a legal standpoint, they're kind of gearing up, expecting that these, these ordinances will cause some litigation if they haven't already. Um, but they're basically gearing up for litigation. They, they laid out a whole legal argument for why they're making these changes. One one of the families that owns the majority of the strip clubs, I know they've got a ton of money, mm-hmm. and they're very. They would not hesitate to fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and, already been two, at least two letters from attorneys regarding yeah. this this issue. So you know, I can for me personally, I can do without strip clubs. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, done that. Is this what we want our city to continue being? Mm-hmm. Or do we really want to make these fundamental changes? And you're going to upset people whatever direction you go. Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be people. There's going to be people hearing what I'm saying who are going to get upset with me. Mm-hmm. 
but we still have to go forward with what we feel is right and what is right for our city. Yeah, we're definitely on the on the cusp of, of big changes. Yeah. And I think that's part of this. Along with that, of course, you've been following the the uh, ordinances against vagrancy, which mm-hmm. also include things like using your cell phone in a crosswalk, which some people are viewing as kind of ridiculous. But those are actually coming up uh, here this week. I think, they're, I think that's focused toward people playing Pokemon. Very well could be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but along with that, you know, sitting and sleeping on public structures mm-hmm. or buildings and that kind of thing. And I actually, I have a photo uh, that'll be on This Is Reno um, this coming week of somebody literally sitting on top of the Virginia Street Bridge reading a book. Oh, wow. Yes. On the arch of the Virginia, ah. the new Virginia Street Bridge reading a book. So in this kind of kitchen sink set of ordinances, they're trying to curtail a number of behaviors in the downtown area. And trying to give the police officers some more tools. The police, I've talked to several officers who are frustrated. Mm -hmm. These things are going on. They're not the right thing to happen. We've got public parks that families feel unsafe in, Mm -hmm. and the police can't do anything about it. Right. And their resources are stretched, too. Mm Mm-hmm. In fairness, it's very controversial because we all know from doing the Solutions podcast, which we've got more episodes coming shortly, uh, we know that the homeless don't have enough resources in the community as well. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting um, dynamic there. You know, the police want, you know, the ability to uh, take more action if necessary on top of steering them towards services. Um, but also enforcement action, potentially, yeah. if it comes to that. They did say, uh, I believe it was Chief, Chief Jason Soto said uh, at the city council meeting that that would be a last resort, but it is going to be obviously built into those ordinances that mm-hmm. they, they can't arrest for you know, various violations or at least tif- you know, give tickets and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been very controversial. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. She lives in uh, Philadelphia. Mm. And she was walking someplace and she said, wow, you know, here I can see two homeless people. Mm. I was walking downtown. I saw over a dozen. Yeah. I took my dogs for a walk down on the river last week and we saw easily a dozen. It was 830 in the morning. Yeah. And this is anywhere along the the river corridor. Yeah. So there's an issue. There's a problem. There's something we can tune up in our community. Mm -hmm. Homelessness is not a crime. Mm-hmm. But homelessness sometimes breeds activities that are criminal. That are criminal. Yeah, and and we've seen enough anecdotes of that too. Um, at the same time, you know, we've talked to a lot of the advocates, and and we know their stance, and mm-hmm. they would like to see more resources. And I think they have a, a legitimate. Um, and even Chief Soto said they need more resources. They so do. they need yeah, the overflow shelter. Yeah, that is safe. Yeah. And well run. Yeah. Not an overflow shelter that only has people working there for eight hours. Mm-hmm. That is that is silly. Yeah. You expect people to get there, sleep for four or five hours, and then have to get back into town mm-hmm. before dawn. That's that's silly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's an ongoing concern. The ordinances are going to be up in front of city council on Wednesday. I believe that's going to be the first hearing of two that need to get passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I assume there's going to be probably more conversation around that. So we'll we'll take a listen. And, um, and I encourage 
everybody out there to get on YouTube. These city council meetings are available to watch on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have some opinion on this, watch the city council, talk to other people and have a real educated opinion. Mm-hmm. Participate in this, not just with your gut feelings like like I am with the strip clubs, right? but find out what it really is. Mm-hmm. I did not find out what the strip clubs give to the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It may, I may be totally surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's something we've been kind of harping on a little bit. I interviewed uh, Alexis, who's the arts manager for the city, you know, about the space whale a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, you remember. Yeah. And, and uh, one of the things we mentioned was, well, people need to get involved if they want to have a voice on this issue and complaining on Facebook isn't the way to go. And when we posted that on Facebook, sure enough, people complained. It's like, you guys, it's mm-hmm. not helping. No. You can complain all you want, be upset about a big giant space whale in downtown Reno, but if you're not being more proactive, it really doesn't do much good. And they're complaining about the uh, the spiky thing off the freeway. Oh yeah, the mohawk thing, the yeah. big red mohawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're reworking it. They're going to repaint they're it, cleaning it, yeah, and cleaning it up, and yeah, and uh, I think the. Uh, for the guy that was living in there, I think they're putting in more amenities into his little apartment. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> well, in other news, healthcare has been a huge topic, and we sat down with uh, Heather Kabulik of the Nevada uh, Silver State Exchange. I hope I pronounced your last name right. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you, what do, you do? Okay. Well, I'm the uh, executive director of the Silver State Health Insurance Exchange. And the Health Insurance Exchange operates the Nevada Health Link, which is the marketplace that connects people to qualified health plans with financial subsidies through the federal government under the Affordable Care Act. And the Affordable Care Act is in major limbo right now. Why is that? What's going on? Well, uh, part of uh, Donald Trump's platform when he was running for election was all about repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act. And so he and his administration and the Republicans that are in the majority have felt that they are uh, under a mandate, that they need to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. So that, you know, Donald Trump was elected last November 8th. We opened our open enrollment period November 1st. And so from the beginning of last open enrollment period, there's been a lot of uncertainty with our consumers about whether or not qualified health plans would exist, would the marketplace continue to exist, would subsidy dollars continue to exist, and then would the individual mandate or the tax penalty associated with the Affordable Care Act still exist? Those are still questions that have been pending and uncertainties and ambiguous ambiguous answers. Um, so those are all still very hot button issues. Um, we did grow our enrollment during the last open enrollment period because we are a state-based marketplace. So we have the ability to connect with stakeholders. We have the ability to work with our community partners to generate knowledge and to kind of, um, you know, use the marketplace and use our connections to build and grow our marketplace. So it's my understanding that rural Nevadans in particular could potentially be the most negatively affected if this gets repealed. Can you talk a little bit about where we're at and about that part of the the situation? One of the weaknesses of the Affordable Care Act is something that's always been a weakness across our country, which is um, rural 
insurance coverage. And in Nevada specifically, we only had one carrier offering plans out in those rural communities, and that was Anthem. And Anthem decided that this year they were no longer going to participate in the uh, the exchange altogether. And that left 14 of our counties without any coverage. And as a result, uh, you know, we were seeing on our map bare counties, meaning there would be no health insurance through the Affordable Care Act and no health insurance off exchange for those 14 counties. So we had to uh, scramble Mm -hmm. to find a solution to that because they gave us notice uh, the very last minute. And so we weren't aware in advance. Um, And luckily for Nevadans, we have a very committed and unwavering governor who sought out and used his political capital to find answers and to find a solution to that problem. The way he did that was by reaching out to a company who was entering our marketplace named Centene or Silver Summit is what they're called here in Nevada. And um, Silver Summit heard that we had a concern and that we were going to have Bear Counties and they made it happen. They created plans and worked with the exchange and the division of insurance and got plans available for all of those counties. And um, luckily for those consumers, there will be plans available. And so what happens if it gets repealed? Where where are we at right now? Well, depends on what mechanism they use to repeal and replace. I mean, right now they're using what's called a budget reconciliation mechanism, meaning that they can only touch things that um, cost dollars. So, for instance, um, you can repeal the subsidies in this current mechanism reconciliation, but you can't repeal the essential health benefits that are covered by the Affordable Care Act. So, what's been going on in DC? We've seen a House bill that was successful. That was called the American Health Care, yeah, American Health Care Act, and then we saw um, that pass through the Senate or through the House to the Senate. And then the Senate came back with their own bill called the Better Care Reconciliation Act, which had the interesting, uh, the only interesting night on C-SPAN where um, McCain came in at the last hour with a a thumbs down on that bill. Um, And so that didn't pass. And we kind of were thinking that we were not going to have to um, really go through any more repeal and replace. But then we've resurrected this reconciliation mechanism that is it is uh, the deadline for reconciliation is September 30th. So that's why there's a mad rush right now. And there's a bill called the Graham-Cassidy bill uh, that Senator Heller has also signed on to and has been supportive of. And what that bill does um, is, is basically takes the entire healthcare system that we've developed in Nevada and uh, turns it into something entirely different. Um, it takes all of the dollars that come to our state through advanced premium tax credits and cost sharing reductions. So those are the subsidies that people on the exchange get. And then it it puts them into a block grant. So all the dollars that are coming to Medicaid expansion for 300,000 Nevadans um, and then the 89,000 people on the, the exchange, all those dollars that are coming to them in some kind of subsidy would be bundled into one package. And then what they do is divide it through a complicated formula to all of the states. So states like Texas and Florida, who never expanded Medicaid, they end up getting a lot more money than they've ever gotten in the past. But states like Nevada and Arizona, who have not been or who did decide to expand Medicaid, who have reduced our uninsured numbers by doing so, we actually take a real hit. And I guess the estimates from our agency and the Division of Department of Health and Human Services say that it's between $600 million and $2 billion that Nevada would lose in funding. 
So that would be that would spell disaster for Nevadans. Absolutely. There's no way that our state can afford to take on the, that funding. Um, and it, you know, when when you see a giant budget hole like that, you start doing two things. You can either raise revenue through a tax or you can reduce eligibility for programming. And I mean, neither of those are palatable options. So it seems to me that a lot of the politicians are not thinking about people. They're thinking about their own egos. They're thinking about uh, dollars and how that can help them with their, who knows, campaigns or whatever they have going on politically, but they're forgetting about the people. Is that something that you're seeing with the politicians? I think what we're forgetting, and and specific to Nevada, I think what we're forgetting is that Nevada's benefited over and over again, not just by reducing the number of uninsured Nevadans by 400,000 people who have gained access to insurance as a result of the Affordable Care Act, but we're also, we've we've benefited economically, we've benefited through public health endeavors. I mean, we have more people accessing regular care, less people using emergency room care. Um, hospitals are happy. Physicians are happy. Uh, communities are happy. And and so we've benefited in so many ways. And I think that there's this political hang-up on the idea that the Affordable Care Act was so unpopular. We've created this murky picture of what it's actually doing. And we, we're, we're so obsessed with the word Affordable Care Act not being good or Obamacare not being good that we're not paying attention to the great benefits that it's brought. And like we were sort of alluding to earlier, I mean, when Medicare rolled out, a giant piece of legislation that was hugely beneficial and relatively popular, but not that popular, it took years and years and years to refine it into something that works. And it's still being refined constantly. And the Affordable Care Act is the same. I mean, of course, there are flaws and there are holes in a giant piece of legislation. We need to focus on where can we support and beef up and stabilize those pieces. My wife is going through some health issues. So we're dealing with health care and insurance and all of that. And even though at times it's a little frustrating, a little problematic, on the whole, while I'm sitting here thinking about on the whole, it's been really good to us. She's getting the what she needs. And for me, I'm seeing the doctor more often than I used to. Mm-hmm. So I I can see it on a personal level exactly what you're saying. It may not be perfect, but it's working. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can just tune it up. Uh, do you get frustrated with the politicians that are just get rid of it? Absolutely. I mean, as somebody who is a devoted civil servant, lifelong so far. Um, My career is in policy. My career is in understanding how policy helps people. And I've always been focused as an advocate on trying to make sure that policies do actually help people and that little parts of policies don't stand in the way of somebody getting the care or the access that they need. So I'm frustrated that that continues to be a conversation when I'm watching a volatile market suffer as a result and consumers suffer as a result. We're going to see more increases in premiums this next year. Uh, And it's important for Nevadans to know that most people who are on the exchange are eligible for subsidies. So they're getting subsidies, right? But when premiums go up or when rates go up, so does their subsidies. So when you when you hear the number that the rate increase is going to be 30%, that sounds scary, but most of our consumers will only be very minimally, minimally impacted by that 
because their subsidy will go up too. But yes, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with that conversation because it's taking me away. I'm spending a lot of time analyzing bills and the impact that it'll have on Nevadans when I should be very focused on growing our enrollment, improving our our marketplace, bringing in new carriers, improving competition. That's what my job really should be. So it's been sort of a distraction. The governor's come out in support of maintaining what we have now. Dean Heller's taking a lot of heat for his support of the alternative. Talk about how that's playing out. Well, uh, you know, there's a, the, the, Senator Heller has signed on to a bill called the Graham-Cassidy bill. And uh, we ex- I explained that a little bit earlier. It takes all the money and creates a block grant. And what it does is it also caps the amount of dollars that would be available to a state under a block grant. It ends up being a huge budget shortfall. Um, and I think what we've seen from our governor over and over again is thoughtful, analytical um, focus on how to either maintain or improve Nevada's healthcare systems and make sure that Nevadans are continue, are able to continue to access insurance. So uh, the governor with the Department of Health and Human Services and the Division of Insurance and myself at the exchange, we've analyzed this bill and we've come away thinking that this is not the right thing for Nevada. It's not going to be good for Nevadans. He's been focused through the last three uh, or four iterations of bills that we've seen on three different things. The first one is that the cost cannot transfer to Nevada. We cannot incur any more costs to our systems. The second is that people cannot lose access to their insurance. And the third is a real focus on something that I think will be the governor's legacy, which is managed care or coordinated care. So what he's set up in our state is a Medicaid system that allows people who are on Medicaid, for instance, if they have mental health issues or if they have drug addiction issues, it's a care coordination to manage through the systems. Because like you were alluding to earlier, it's complicated. And so not everybody, I mean, for, for instance, to ask a homeless individual to have an address and to show up and be at a place at a certain time and to answer the phone is really a challenge. But with a coordinated case manager, it's a lot easier on that person to get there and to get the regular care that they need, which, of course, reduces the fees that we see or reduces hospital admissions and et cetera, et cetera. It's good for the entire public community or public health community. I think that we've created in the media, we've created Obamacare and Affordable Care Act, uh, or we've we've painted a picture that that's a bad thing and that um, even people who are maybe benefiting from that program don't recognize that that's the same thing that they're benefiting from. And so, I mean, my job, I I think of every interaction uh, as an opportunity to educate. Um, Even if I disagree with someone's opinion, I think of it as an opportunity to inform. And so, um, you know, people who voted for Donald Trump, who perhaps are on the Affordable Care Act, I mean, potentially they will lose their insurance if this, you know, if a repeal and replace took place. And I don't know, that may change their mind. I don't know. But I think ultimately what my job is to make sure that they have access regardless of who they voted for. Great. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I'd love to talk for a minute about our upcoming open enrollment period. That's something that has changed. Um, We saw uh, that we've gone from a traditional 90-day open enrollment period down to 45 days. So we're having um, a real critical time in the exchange trying to get that message out that you have from November 1st through December 15th to get insured, to get access or to, to enroll in healthcare. 
Um, the other thing that I'm encouraging, because we've talked about that today, that there's a change in the marketplace. We've gone from four carriers down to two carriers. Networks have changed. Providers have changed. We want all of our consumers to sit with a licensed enrollment professional so that they can make informed decisions about what, what they're purchasing on the exchange. And then finally, I would just say that there are Nevadans available and ready to help you get enrolled. And you can find them through NevadaHealthLink.com. We have an in-person assister tool. You can enter your address into this tool and find a local enrollment professional near you to help you get enrolled. Great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So what events do we have coming up? We have, what, Street Vibrations. Street Vibrations, yes. That's Last year, you interviewed the Hells Angels at Street Vibrations. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do that again. You're going to do it again? Yeah. Find out what's going on with them these days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They were, they were nice. They were very open and just, just really friendly. Yeah. Not as frightening as you think they would be. Yeah, sure. Um, What else do we have? uh, Restless Artist Theater in Sparks has a play called Going Green. And you saw that I saw that. Mm -hmm. I saw that last night and it was wonderful and funny and political and uh, definitely go out and support your theater. And there's lots of other things going on in theater. A lot of new seasons are happening. Burka's getting ready for their um, butt cracker. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen the butt cracker, that is a holiday favorite. Right. Uh, this year, they're going to be talking about the history of Reno. Very cool. As part of butt cracker? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm very excited to see what happens with that. That's going to be fantastic. So get out and support your um, your local theaters. There's a Banksy piece coming to yes. Sierra Arts. Yes. That is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I got totally sucked in. There was a fake news story that uh, Banksy got arrested. In um, Palestine? Yeah. yeah. I it saw was that too. Totally it was fake. hilarious. Yeah, it was totally fake. Yeah. <laughs> but I got sucked in. But it was it. really funny. You have to admit it was pretty funny. Um, so that's, that's one great thing to look at is the Banksy. Yeah. Then we've got all of our museums and there's just a ton of stuff going on. I, um, I'm excited about street vibrations this year. Yeah. I'm not, I never am. Never? Not a fan. I got to admit, bless our hearts for being here and welcome to our community, but it's just (laughs) too loud for me. And then, uh, my, uh, video Maybe on This Is Reno by now of uh, rappelling down the 34 stories at the Grand Sierra. That will be fun. Now, you videotaped that last year. You put yes, a I videotaped somebody else doing it. This yeah. year, I'm doing it. It's a benefit for the Big Brothers Big Sisters. Interesting. So this is a company that goes around doing this for benefiting uh, nonprofits all around the world setting up on some high building, and then people can rappel down. That would give me the willies. It just thinking about going over the side of that building freaks me out. Yeah. Big it's, time. And it's going to take like 10 or 15 minutes to come down. I just did the practice over at uh, the new climbing gym. Mesa Bless your heart. Rim. And, um, and that's, a, that's a great gym. Yeah. Bless um, your heart for doing that. But yeah. It's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. All right. Is that it? Well, that's about it. That's what I got. Yeah. We should mention the sponsor, Truckee Meadows Water Authority, is offering tours of their hydroelectric power plant and uh-huh. their water treatment plant. I've through done the rest, that. Through the it's rest wonderful. of this month. Yeah. And we've gotten a lot of 
positive comments on those those plants. It is not the sewage treatment plant, you guys. It's the water treatment plant. Completely different. Mm -hmm. One's going in your body. The other one's coming out of your body. I wonder if they're ever going to do tours of the sewage treatment plant. I don't know. But I don't know why people don't understand that. Truckee Meadows Water Authority, not Sewage Authority. But anyhow, yeah, we've gotten some good positive uh, comments uh, on that. And And our sewage is so good that that Tesla Tesla wants wants to buy it. Yeah, that's another story we've been following. Yeah. Yeah. And that got approved too. So that's going to be in the works. They're building a multi million dollar pipeline all the way out to Story County. Mm-hmm. So excellent. So our our effluent is definitely worth something. Mm hmm. Yep. So note that with pride, Reno. Thank you for listening to the This Is Reno Radio Show. Please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a review. Also, visit us online for daily news and events at thisisreno.com. We are locally owned and operated. 